Well, amen. We are covered by his grace, aren't we? You know, this morning we're continuing our Believe sermon series, and this week we're in week seven. But just kind of to recap where we've been, um, if you remember week one, we looked at God, how the God of the Bible is the one true God. And week two and week three, we looked at how we can have a personal relationship with Jesus through salvation. And then in week four, we looked at the Bible. And if you remember, we said that the word of God is more than just ink on a page. It is actually breath on a page. And then week six or week five, we looked at our identity in Christ. How when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a new creation in which we are totally, completely identified in Christ. And then last week we looked at the church. And just as God's word is living and active, so is the church. We are an organism. We are living and active as a body of believers, both this local expression of faith and the greater universal church as well. The church is God's primary source to accomplish his purpose on earth today. And then this morning, that brings us to week number seven. We're looking at humanity. When we read the first chapter of Genesis, we read the creation account. After each day of creation, God said what? He said, it is good, didn't he? Everything he created was good and beautiful. Just look outside and you can see the beauty of his creation. And as beautiful as the animals are, as beautiful as the fish of the sea are, as beautiful as his creation is, the greatest of all of God's creation is you. The greatest of all God's creation is us. Isn't that good news this morning? You, my friend, are a masterpiece. Some of you in this room this morning may think that you're not a masterpiece. You may see yourself more as being someone who is worthless, who doesn't have value, a person that this world has already deemed a lost cause. You may think that you have no purpose in life or that you're just kind of taking up space on planet Earth. I want you to know right now that you are extraordinary. Every man, woman, and child that has been given the breath of life is extraordinary. Think about it. God did not create you and I like the rest of his creation, did he? He took time with us. He molded us. He shaped us. He formed us. And he breathed life into us. The rest of God's creation, scripture says that he spoke into existence. But not you and I. He took time with us because we are the greatest of all of his creation. In fact, as our message point um, indicates this morning, um, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. So as we look at humanity this morning, I really want us to see the gospel unfold and see what you and I have been saved from. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the gospel. It's going to be a picture of the gospel. And so I pray this morning as we look at all aspects of the gospel that you will realize that you and I have been created for a purpose and we have been given a mission in life. So remember, as we go through this, remember um, what God's 
intended purpose for us was and what happened that broke our relationship with God. And, and just look at this as it unfolds this morning and realize that as we look at the gospel that you and I have been commanded to go and preach the good news to those that we come in contact with. This morning we're going to be looking at several passages of scripture. If you want to start in Genesis chapter 1, you can. We're going to look at verses 26 through 27, and then we'll skip over to Genesis chapter 2, and then Genesis chapter 3, and then we're also going to be looking at several passages in Roman and dip, in Romans in different places. We'll have the scripture up here on the on the board, but if you can, put God's word in your hand and, and, and flip through the pages with us this morning. Point number one this morning is that you and I were created by God. We were created by God. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, we read this. It says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the beginning, God created man and woman to be image bearers of him. I want you to, I want that to resonate with each of us this morning. We were created in the image of God to be bearers of his image. Do you know that before the foundation of the world, God in his infinite goodness had you and I in mind. In Ephesians chapter one, verse four, we read, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know that it was no surprise that our omniscient, all-knowing God, it wasn't a surprise to him when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree. You know that, right? It was not a surprise to him. He knew before the creation of the world that you and I would turn our backs on him. He knew that we would rebel against his goodness for our life. In spite of knowing that we would turn our backs on him and choose to go our own way, God in his infinite goodness still chose to create you and I in his image to bear his image. That's good news this morning. That is good news this morning. We are image bearers of God. Wayne Gruden, a theologian, um, said this. He pointed out that the words used in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, image and likeness in the Hebrew, refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing it represents or is the image of. Therefore, Genesis 1, 26 would have meant to the original readers, let us make man to be like us and represent us. You and I are created in the image of God so that we could reflect the glory of God. That is why God created us. You know, I remember whenever I was a student pastor, um, we had a, a, a couple of young men that were new to the church, and whenever um, one of them wore a shirt one time that said, Be like the moon, reflect the sun. 
Reflect the S-U-N. And as I read that, I thought, man, that is right on. You and I have been created to reflect the S-O-N, haven't we? We've been created to reflect the Son, to reflect the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 43, 6-7, we read this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my my glory, whom I formed and made. You and I were created by God for his glory. And when we look at create the creation story, we see this picture of our glorious God create man and woman in his image. He gave great attention to every detail of our being. In Genesis chapter 2-7, we read, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This word form comes from the Hebrew word yatsar, which means to form or to fashion. The picture here is that of a potter that takes a lump of clay and fashions that lump of clay into a beautiful work of art. That is exactly what God did with creation. He took us being a lump of clay and molded us and formed us and shaped us into his, his image. God created us and he made us works of arts to reflect his glory. From Adam to you, all of us are works of art. That means that you are valued by God. That means that the unborn child is valued by God. That means that the special needs child is valued by God. We are all valued by God because we are image bearers of God. Um, I love what an article that I came across this week by Don Dunavant, um, which he wrote for SBC Life. He points out seven characteristics that show how you and I reflect God's glory. And so I want us to look at these seven characteristics together this morning. The first one that he talks about is that you and I are spiritual beings. You and I are not just flesh and blood, but we are spiritual beings. When God breathed life into man, he not only filled our lungs with oxygen, but he also made us spiritually eternal. Out of all of God's creation, you are the, and I are the only ones that will live for all of eternity. God also made us personal beings. Every one of us in this room are unique. Not a single one of us are like another. Every aspect of, our, uh, uh, of us are unique. Our DNA is unique. Our fingertips prints are unique. Our retinas are unique. We are unique individuals created in the image of God. If there's anything that should cause an evolutionist to question the Big Bang, it's the fact that there has never been a single person that has ever been created alike. We are unique. We are personal beings created by a holy God. We are also moral beings. We all have a moral compass within us. We are hardwired um, with the sense of right and wrong. And that makes sense when we think 
about our God being holy and demanding from his creation holiness and righteousness. We are also relational beings. God created us with the ability and the desire to relate to one another. We see that within a marital union. We see that within the church, how we are organic, we're living and active, and we all need each other in order to be the bride of Christ and function the way that God set us apart to function. We also see that when we think about the Great Commission, how God called us as believers the light of the world to go into this dark world and preach the good news to those that we come in contact with. So we are light in a dark world. We are also rational beings. Don Donovan said this. He said, God is a God of knowledge. While our knowledge is limited, God created us with the capacity to think to know and to learn. Christianity is not a mindless faith as so many secularists identify it as. It is just the opposite. The intellectual aspect of being made in the image of God means that our minds are a vital part of how we are to love God and how we are to grow in relationship with him. So we are rational beings. God gave us a mind so that we could use it to honor him, hide his words in in our hearts and and, and to, to be used by him to grow in our relationship with him. We are also emotional beings. You and I are emotional beings. We were created with the capacity to love one another and to express love to other people. We were also created so that we could worship God, worship him in spirit and truth, and to worship him in, in, in a way that is more than just head worship, but it's heart worship. It's heart affection. It's total allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in Psalm 33, 8, it says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You and I as emotional beings need to find, we need to stand in awe of God. I mean, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you actually stood in awe of the creator of the universe? When was the last time that you took a step back and just been in awe of him? The last thing here is we are creative beings. God, the author and perfecter of our faith and this life, created us to be creative people. We have all been created with the capacity humanity has to be artists like Picasso, to be musicians like Mozart, to be architects like Frank Lloyd Wright, to be engineers like Henry Ford, or physicists like Albert Einstein, leaders like George Washington, authors, writers, and theologians like C.S. Lewis. All of us have been created with the ability to be creative people. Every single Wednesday morning, um, several of us weave in and out of every class that's on this campus and just pray for those that are going to be in that classroom on Sundays, on Wednesdays, and throughout the week with our different home school groups that are on the campus. And in the back of our sound room, there is a craft room. Every single Wednesday, I open up that door and I pray that God will make us as his church creative people. You and I were created by God to be creative people. So you and I were created by God 
to reflect the image of God. And we have the capacity within us to do some amazingly remarkable things, don't we? Think about it. We have the capacity to be generous, to love, to create, to build, to discern, to innovate, to write. We have the the capacity to do some amazing things, but we also have the capacity, because of sin, to do some incredibly wretched things as well. We have the capacity to hate, the capacity to murder, the capacity to fight, the capacity to covet. John Stott wrote this. He said, human beings are the inventors of hospitals for the care of the sick, of universities for the acquisition of wisdom, and our churches for the worship of God. But they have also invented torture chambers, concentration camps, nuclear arsenals. This is the paradox of our humanness. We are both noble and ignoble, both rational and irrational, both moral and immoral, both creative and destructive, both loving and selfish, both godlike and bestial. So what happened? How did we go from walking and talking with God in the cool of the day in the garden to being where we are today? We became the way we are today because, point number two, we were corrupted by sin. You and I were created by God but we were corrupted by sin. In Romans 3.12 we read, All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Wow, think about that statement. Not even one. That's a pretty tough indictment against all of humanity, isn't it? Not a single one of us have done good. Look around this room this morning. This is the only time that you're going to be able to judge one another as a church. There is not a single person in this room that has done good every second of every minute of every hour of every day of their life. Every single one of us in this room have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't say in this passage that some have fallen short of God's glory or most people have fallen short of God's glory or it doesn't indicate how many millions of people have fallen short of God's glory. It says that all have fallen short of God's glory. Romans 3.10 states, none is righteous, no, not one. There's not a single person that has ever walked the face of this earth that has been declared by God from the moment of their birth until they took their final breath on planet earth to be righteous every single day of their life. David said in Psalms 51.5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, David is not saying that as a result of his father and mother being, being unfaithful, he was born into sin. What he is saying here is that he can trace back to the moment of his birth and realize that he was born into a life of sin. Paul indicates this and, 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 and reiterates this in Romans chapter 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
Everyone has sinned. All sin has been passed down from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. At that moment, every single one of us in this room stood condemned because of their sin. Because sin has corrupted us, we all stand condemned. You know, I I, I was thinking as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to figure out the earliest sin that I could remember creating. My dad will be able to indicate probably many more before this one, but I remember going to the store with my mom once, and it was Safeway. Um, Some of you remember Safeway being down here in the south. If you're from the north, Safeway is still around. Down here today, it's Tom Thumb. Um, But I remember my mom, um, I, I, I sat underneath the basket, and I remember my mom weaving up and down the different aisles, and we came to that open candy section. Y'all remember the open candy bin um, where it was just all out there and it looked like it was just free because it wasn't really packaged very well? I remember this. I remember looking up at my mom to see if she was looking down at me. And when she wasn't looking, I reached my hand and I grabbed a piece of candy. Man, I thought that I was like a a, a magician then, you know, just those quick hands here. Um, But I remember grabbing that piece of candy, opening that pack, and putting that piece of candy in my mouth. At that moment in time, I thought that I really was, man, I thought I got away with something. But here's the reality. Because I stole that one piece of candy, if that was the first sin that I ever committed, which I doubt very seriously that it was, okay? If it was that one sin, let's think back in the 1970s, that piece of candy probably cost less than a penny. But because I took that one piece of candy that probably cost less than a penny, I stand condemned or I stood condemned because of my sin. Think about that. That's all it takes to stand condemned before a holy, righteous, and just God. You remember how a few minutes ago I mentioned That when God breathed life into us, he not only filled our lungs with oxygen, but he also gave us an eternal soul. You and I were created for eternity. Because of sin in our lives, scripture says that the penalty for our sin is death. Romans 6.23, first part of that passage, the wages of sin is death. This is not talking about a physical death, although oftentimes people's lives are cut short tragically because they have chosen to sin and it has resulted in sin. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about physical death. It is talking about spiritual, eternal death, eternal separation from God. If that one sin was the only sin that I ever committed, then I would have been, that would have been enough to punish me to hell. Okay? Think back to the earliest time in your life where you committed the first sin. However big or small that first sin was, that was enough for you to stand condemned. In front of a holy God. David Platt stated this. He said, this is a picture of the very first sin in Genesis 3. It is almost like Adam and Eve said, even if God said we're not to eat from that tree, we're going to do it 
anyway. He is not Lord over us. We can do what we want when we want. Think about it. This is a God who beckons storm clouds and they come. The God who tells the wind and the rain when to blow and fall, and they do it immediately. The God who says to the mountains, you go here, and to the seas, you stop there, and they do it. Everything in all creation responds in obedience to the creator until you get to man. And you and I have the audacity to look God in the face and say no. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They had the audacity to look God in the face and say no. Every day that you and I choose to sin, we are saying to God, no. It's kind of like Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way. It's exactly what we do as humans. We do it our way. Since the beginning of time, man has been doing it his way and not God's way. And the punishment for doing it our way and not God's way is eternal separation from God in hell. Here's the reality. All have sinned and all sin must be punished. So we were created by God, but corrupted by sin. And now we're, we're, we're going to look at point number three. Point number three is pursued by God. Here's one of the reasons this morning that I wanted us to take the approach that we have taken to humanity. I really wanted us to focus in on what God intended for us when we were created by God. When the first man and woman were created, God intended for them to live a perfect life. He, he created them to bring honor and glory to him. But man was corrupted by sin. We looked God in the face and we told God, no, I'm going to do it my way. So this morning, as we walk through this sermon together, I really want you to see um, that if you're not a believer in this room, this is the God that we serve. He is a holy, righteous, just God. And because of our sin, if we don't turn our life over to him, then we're going to experience eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Okay, so I want you, if you're not a believer, to understand that this morning. If you are a believer in this room this morning, then I really want you to see that when you share the plan of salvation with somebody, it's important that we don't just focus on the good things. We don't just focus on, hey, I know you're a sinner because you've sinned at least once in your life. So if you pray this prayer, the Bible says that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. I don't want us to, to share the plan of salvation with somebody and give them um, a sense of easy believism. I want people to truly understand, as God wants people to truly understand, that this is what my intended purpose is for your life. And so let's paint a picture when we share the good news with somebody of what God's intended purpose is. And let's make it abundantly clear how sin separates us from God. And make sure the person that we're sharing with understands the consequences for sin. And then we come to point number three this morning. And once again, it is we are pursued by God. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, sin has corrupted us. Yes, sin has separated us from our holy God. 
But here is the good news. You and I are so loved by God that he provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. In fact, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and received their just punishment for their sin, God revealed to them his eternal purpose for man's redemption. His eternal purpose has always been Jesus. You know that, right? Before time began, Jesus was always the intended purpose for you and I to be reconciled to a holy God, to our holy God. Notice this conversation that God had with Adam and Eve and Satan in Genesis chapter 3. It says this in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said to the, the serpent, deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here is the picture here. Sin has just corrupted God's perfect creation. God curses the serpent by making the serpent crawl on its belly for the rest of its life. He is about to tell Adam that he is going to have to work his tail off all of the days of his life in order to put food on his table. He's going to tell Eve that she will have great pain in childbirth. But before he does that, he has some serious words for the devil. He says again in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The word enmity means there, there will be hostility. There will be war. There will be hatred that will occur between man and Satan all of man's days. There is going to be constant war between the offspring of Eve and the offspring of the devil. Now we obviously know that the devil The devil doesn't have offspring, but what the devil does have is the devil does have influence over creation. We all know this to be true because every day we find ourselves at war with our flesh, don't we? We find ourselves at war trying to tame our flesh. We have a desire to do good, a desire to live holy, but sometimes we let our flesh get the better of us. We become angry. We covet. We're, we're tempted to do, to do things, look at things that we know that we shouldn't. And we speak in ways that do not honor God. We're not the only ones that battle with this flesh. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He said, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Every single day, we're at war with the devil. Every single day, we must commit to holiness. We must commit to being image bearers of God and not sinful, wretched people. From the moment sin entered this world, this is the good news. From the moment sin entered this world, God put into motion his redemptive plan. He immediately began to pursue his people. The Old Testament is a glorious story of God pursuing his people and never, ever giving up on them. Yes, they constantly disobeyed, but God kept pursuing after them. And for those that 
um, repented of their sins and those that cried out to God, forgive them for their sins, they received God's mercy. His plan for redemption has always been Jesus since before the world was put into motion. In spite of all the times that we have told God no, in spite of all the times that we have told God that I am going to do it my way, God still continues to pursue his creation. Once again, John 3.16, the most popular passage of Scripture in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Think about that. God loved you so much that he left heaven to come and live amongst his creation perfectly. He never committed a sin. And what did he receive as punishment for never committing a sin? He was crucified. He went to the cross. He would die a brutal, humiliating death. That is love. That is a God-sized love. That's exactly the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated for us when he came to this earth, went to the cross, and died for us. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit continues to pursue us today. I want us to look at this passage in Philippians chapter 2. This is a passage that many of us are familiar with, but this is such a great picture of the gospel as it unfolds um, as Paul wrote this to this church in, in Philippi. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scripture is clear. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father, only one way to experience eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you do not know where you would spend eternity if you were to die today, then this morning I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Scripture is crystal clear on this, that without turning your life over to Jesus Christ and repenting of your sins, you will spend eternity separated from God and hell. But if you do call out to Christ, if you do ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you do call on him to be your Lord and your Savior, Scripture is clear that we will be saved. We will be saved. Let me ask you a question. 
Has your knee bowed on this side of eternity and confessed Jesus as Lord? This scripture is clear that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That will happen on this side of eternity for, for the believer or it will happen on the other side of eternity for the unbeliever. In the depths of this earth, your knee will bow and you will cry out that Jesus is Lord. Unfortunately, at that moment, it will be too late because our just God, because he is holy and he is righteous, because he cannot be in proximity of sin, he has had to sentence you to death because you chose not to experience grace and forgiveness for your sins. Remember, our sin punishment is hell. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the good news is this. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is providing for us a free gift in the person of Jesus Christ. All we have to do is just reach out and receive it. And when we receive it, Scripture is clear that we will be forgiven and that we will experience eternity with God in heaven. So now what? Um, we've looked at these three points this morning. Um, our takeaway really this morning, and this is just going to be a real quick point, is this. We have been commissioned by God. Every single one of us in this room this morning have been commissioned by God if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Once you came to faith in Jesus, you were commissioned by God to go into this world and rescue people from the gates of hell. Jesus came to this earth to die for you and to die for me and to die for all of humanity. He pursued us and those that have come to faith in him have been rescued from the pits of hell. And what has Jesus told us to do in response? He has called us to go. So we have been commissioned by God to go. As we looked at last week, as we talked about the church, you and I are God's primary means for reaching the world for Christ today. We are his hands and we are his feet. And we have been called as believers in Jesus Christ to go and to share the story of salvation with others. So this morning, as we have looked at the story of salvation, as we've looked at how we have been created by God, corrupted by sin, and pursued by God, I pray that you have taken something this morning, that this has sunk into your your minds and into your hearts. God's word has come alive within you, and you realize the urgency of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. We are the only hope for a lost person's salvation, according to scripture. We have been called to go. Let's be obedient and go and preach the good news to those that we come in contact with. So this morning, if you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Okay? God loves you. And he loves you so much that in spite of your sin, he still is pursuing you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could come to know Jesus and be reconciled to God.
So if you're here this morning, you do not know Jesus. You don't know where you'd spend eternity if you were to die today. Then I invite you in just a moment to come. I want to be standing here at the front. If you don't know Jesus, I want to share with you this morning how you can come to know Jesus. If you're here this morning, you've been visiting this church a while, and the Lord is leading you to be a part of this faith family, then we invite you to come to be a part of this faith family. This morning, you may need to come and kneel at this altar. As we looked at week one, we passed out these cards to each one of us. Um, These cards right here, the Believe card, it says, I am praying for the salvation of... I pray that you have been praying for the salvation of somebody specifically that needs Jesus Christ. So you may need to come to this altar this morning and just on bended knee cry out to God that God would give you the opportunity this week to share the plan of salvation with, with that individual or those individuals this week. Whether it's around the water cooler or your next door neighbor or a family member or whatever the case might be. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. There's a decision you need to make. We invite you to come. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for the privilege of being in your house this morning. Father, thanking you for the time of worship, thanking you for the time in which you've allowed us to open up your word. Father, I know that this morning, Lord Jesus, has been very much like the the water um, uh, hydrant has been opened and, and we have just been inundated with your word, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that that which has been brought forth this morning has been received by every single person in this room. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that has yet to surrender their lives over to you, yet to repent of their sins, yet to cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning, Father God, across this room, there will be men and women and students that come to faith in you, that trust in you and cry out to you. Father, I pray this morning if there is some within this room that needs to come and join this church. I pray that today will be the day that they do that, Lord Jesus. And Father God, I pray that if if this altar needs to just be filled this morning, that on bended knee, men and women will come and pray specifically for lost people or pray specifically for whatever it is that you would have them to pray for, Lord Jesus. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. I'm going to be right here. If you need to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come. You need to come join this church, you come. You come now. You come.